0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Anne Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Anne Gelsheimer.
2: Hello, and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. I'm your host, Anne Gelsheimer, and we're going to have a fascinating conversation this evening. My guest is Dr. P.M.H. Atwater, who is one of the original researchers in the field of near-death studies. Tonight, we're going to discuss the research that is the basis of her most controversial book, entitled Near-Death Experiences, The Rest of the Story. In this book, she dares to reveal the rest of the story about near-death experiences, including their after-effects and implications. And also, they're linked to the larger genre of transformations of consciousness. I hope we'll also have time to touch on her fascinating book entitled Future Memory, in which she explores the ability of some individuals to live life in advance of its physical manifestation and then recall in detail what they experienced (coughs) when something triggers that memory. As a child, Dr. Atwater was able to perceive multiple dimensions of reality, And then as an adult, she experienced three near-death experiences in 1977, the final of which prompted her research into near-death experiences and the start of her writing career. Over the years, Dr. Atwater has collected data from nearly 7,000 adults and children, published more than 11 books translated into 12 languages, and has been a popular guest on many television and radio programs, a presenter at various conferences around the world, including two presentations at the United Nations, and she's been the recipient of many awards, including the Lifetime Achievement and Special Services Award in 2009 from the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Dr. Atwater, I'm so happy that you're on the show. I want to welcome you and thank you for taking time to be a guest here.
3: Well, it's absolutely wonderful to be here.
2: (laughs) So we there is so much we could talk about, um, but I guess we'll maybe we could just start a little bit about um, what you were able to see as a child. That was I found that fascinating. Your experiences um, of seeing fairies and other things, and then talk a little bit about your th- uh, three experiences of near near death experiences.
3: Oh my goodness! Well, I, I was a, I was a child who had five fathers and two mothers. So <laughs> so I, I had an interesting childhood, For and sure. I wound up being raised by by Norwegians in the, in the reclaimed deserts of southern Idaho, which is another story within itself. So again, I had a very different kind of childhood, and because of that, I could see energy. I could see all kinds of energy beings, and as a child, I would play... Um, at the roots or, or toward the toward the bottom of great trees and bushes and shrubs, because that 's where all of these energy beings were, and for me, they were like vortexes, they were not shaped like people. Mm-hmm. Um, they were vortexes of energy, they had different colors, different sounds, they would spin up into my open palm and they would tickle, and I just thought that was so great to play with these wonderful little energy beings. Oh. So, and I did all kinds of crazy things like that when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, because, um, um, you know, energy was, was, um, was wide open for me. I could see all of the different levels and different types of energy. And, but, but I was one of these kids that always had to make sure that this was real. And I always, always had to check everything out, I would always have to experiment. I did my first double-blind study with, a, with a, a control group at the age of five. I, I just would not take anybody's word for anything. And I think part of that was because in the first grade, I, I, um, I was the only child in school who could see music, hear numbers, and smell color. Oh, now, today right. we call that synesthesia or conjoined senses. In those days, they called it lying.
2: Oh
3: and so I spent most of or, or quite often in the first grade sitting um, sitting on a tall stool in front of the class um, sometimes I would have to wear a conical conical hat that said dunce on it as a bad child who, as an example of a bad child, who told lies. Uh, my mother was called to that in three times because the principal was going to get, kick me out of school, and what I learned in the first grade was. The only time I was ever praised was when I lied. The only time I was ever punished was when I told the truth. So it took my understanding of the world and turned it upside down. And, of course, that was a time of Pearl Harbor. So there was so much death, and there was so, you know, air raid drills and rationing and Hitler and the Gestapo. And, and my childhood was filled with, with this kind of of diversity, um, I could see the energy beings. I could, but but I had this drive to experiment, and there was all this death. Death was just everywhere, um, and I, I had this long walk to go to school and back again. And um, in those days, if someone died in the war effort, um, the family was given a very large star, a gold star decal to put in their living room window. Well, right. yeah, the kids know what's going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm walking to school and here's these all these gold stars in people's windows. I knew that meant death. And this this one home that I was walking by on the way to school had six new gold stars overnight. And I just stood there and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I no kidding, Anne. I don't remember yeah. one single morning in all of first grade when I didn't have to stop my sobs and, and control my shutters just to walk into the door of my classroom. Oh, so, so for sad. lots of reasons, the first grade was an enormous nightmare for me and, so, and changed my life completely. Um, because of, of all the things that occurred. And, and from that, I learned never to trust anybody. I right. learned to experiment. I learned to um, challenge. I learned to explore. Um, I learned to find out things for myself. So, so I became rather scruffy. <laughs> <laughs> Very resilient and scruffy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I sort of grew up that way. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a scruffy person. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find out for myself, thank you very much. (laughs) And I'm going to find out if it works or doesn't. And I'm not just going to find out for myself or in the environment. I'm going to find out from lots and lots and lots of people. And I think that's why I became a good researcher, is because I had the ability to question and to seek and to challenge and to look. Um, And I was a cop's kid. I was raised in a police station. So I had a um you know yeah. I had had that the, that skill sort of driven into me about how you ask questions, how you handle yourself, what what you do with people and and so there was this drive. Of course I was told I was told in my third near death experience to do the research. Um oh, by so what let's I talk called, about that. Let's talk well, about those yeah, yeah I call it the voice like none other. I don't know what else to call it. I mean, my sense is it, it was a God. It, it wasn't like an angel or a guide or guardian or any of these other kinds of voices. It was a voice so big that it was bigger than big. You know, how how do you describe a voice like that? You, you can't, really. And no. no. uh, that voice said quite, quite specifically, I mean, and, you know, I quote, a test revelation. You are to do the research one book for each death. These are specific books. Book number one was not named. Book two was. And by the way, book two is future memory. Okay. Um, and book three is a specific kind of manual that I'm now working on. I'm, I was told what should be in each book, but not how to do the work or how long it would take me. Well, it took me almost 40 years. <laughs> it took a long time, man. <laughs> Wow, and lots and lots of people. Um, my work with near death is nearly four thousand adults and children. But my wor- work uh, overall, when when we're talking consciousness, you know, that's your show. Yes. conscious evolution. That's what I was doing in the sixties. I started out with the Edgar Casey groups, and uh, oh, about sixty six and uh, started Idaho's first non-profit metaphysical corporation by the name of Interforum. We were uh, um, uh, was producing shows, conferences, all kinds of things with, with not just hundreds of people, but thousands of people. So what, when I go back and look at at all that I did before I died and all that I did after I died, that's when you get that figure of 7,000 or more, and that's when you get that very studious, e- uh, examined look yes. of, of what, it, what it's like for transformations of consciousness, psychic phenomena, mystical states of consciousness, compared to near-death experiences. And so that's why the book, near-death experiences, the rest of the story is so different. There, there's no other book like it in the field because nobody else in the field has done what I did. And so you've got that that double-sided look at everything. And um, that's why I was able to look at the near-death experience in a very different way. Um, and, of course, being a cop's kid, I learned how to, you know, you never bias people. You know, all all of your your scientific research is based on bias. You cannot use a word uh, in advance of the person that you are interviewing or you know uh, 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 talking to. They have to use the word first, and in in all of your questionnaires, all of your scientific. Uh, re- Research—they use words first, so you've always got biased, biased material. You know, I'd, I'd look at that and I'd think, "Good heavens!" <laughs> right. You know, well, you not know, w- objective research? Now, when I was
2: reading your book, I—I I didn't realize that there. I, I knew, of course, of uh, Dr. Raymond Moody's work, and and you you refer to it as sort of the classical near-death experience right, profile. It is. I was so interested to read all the other things that you included beyond the classical profile. So maybe we could talk about that. Where do you see your work as supplementing or departing from uh, Dr. Moody's work?
3: Well, I think it does both. It supplements and departs. Um, my, my work certainly departs uh, from the entire field in the sense that I did not use the scientific protocol. I did not use that on purpose because I didn't trust it. it. Doesn't go deep enough, and and again, it's biased. And you know, I'm a cop kid. You know, <laughs> this is right. biased stuff, guys. <laughs> um, so and also, I got into homes whenever I could. I would talk with significant others. I would talk with children, teenagers, adults, people, neighbors, health care givers, anybody who would talk to me. So and I think it 's especially important that you get into the homes and talk to significant others, have sessions with them too and and say you know you know uh, what was it like for you when when your loved one came home? What did you notice? What did you see that's fascinating
2: that? The, yeah that that other information that to, that actually validates the changes
3: yeah. Right, and and especially with children, you have to be so careful with kids. Um, you can, ne- if you're a good researcher, you can never have your pupils above the eyes of a child's pupils. This is so important with children, uh, because if you do, you're in a power position, and that child will not be open with you. So the only way you can do it is, you, you know, pupils. Uh, Have to be on the same level. So if you if if you if you're working with tiny ones, guess guess where you're spending most of your time? On your (laughs) your belly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you have to be so careful. The parents cannot be there. The school teacher cannot be there. Uh, The Catholic nun cannot be there, because the child. Uh, immediately will change the tenor of what they're, they're telling you. And they will only tell you what the adults in the room will allow them to say. So you have to be alone with that job.
2: Oh, so I absolutely yeah. understand that. Yep, I, I work with children at times myself, and that's absolutely true. Yeah. You can get, get them alone and, and just have a really good heart-to-heart. You can, get, you can learn a lot more.
3: Yes, and they can too, by the way. <laughs> ah, very good. You go both ways.
2: Now, we're, we're about to go into a break, so I think this might be a good uh, time to, to take the pause. But when we come back, I want to ask you about the shadow side of near-death experiences, which you describe in, in the book, and the side that we don't often hear about in, in other pieces of work. So this is Anne Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back.
0: visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio.com. At gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Hello, this is Anne Gelsheimer, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. So my guest today is Dr. PMH Atwater, and we are talking about near death experiences and just a wealth of information that she's discovered through her research over the years. So just before break, I asked Dr. Atwater if we could talk about the shadow side of near-death experiences, the information that's often not included in other people's work. What would you say that includes, Dr. Atwater?
3: Oh, so much. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry, it's a big question. First of all, to make sure that your audience and you and I are all on the same page, Uh, let's define a near-death experience as an intense awareness, sense, or experience of otherworldliness, whether pleasant or unpleasant, that happens to people who are at the edge of death. It is of such magnitude that most experiencers are deeply effect, affected, uh, making significant changes in their life afterward. Then I want to say uh, that, um, that the after effects are really, I think, almost more important than the experience. Because the after effects validate the experience, not the other way around. Um, so many people, especially now, get real excited about the near death experience, um, not really realizing how, how deep it is, what it can encompass, what all it can include. You know, the near death experience is not just a light show with a storyline. Right. You know, you get that on television, you get that in the documentaries, you get that in a lot of the books in fact. It's a light show with a storyline, people get all interested in that, not realizing that this is an event, a phenomenon that that can completely change your life physically as well as psychologically. What I'm saying physically most of, the, uh, most, most of the physical changes are changes in brain structure and function, changes in the nervous system, the digestive system, skin sensitivity, lots of uh, sensitivities, of, like, for instance, electrical sensitivity. In my research base, about 71% headed afterward. So uh, electrical sensitivity is a big deal. You know, you don't wear watches. Um, you can pop light bulbs. Uh, you're screwing up your television set or or right. the computer part on your um, car or even your own computer. Um, there's lots of ways of handling um, electrical sensitivity. By the way, on my website, um, um I encourage people to subscribe to my free monthly newsletter, so you get on you get on my website, scroll over to newsletter and sign up and then go there 's an archive then go back I think it 's last year about a year ago i ha and and it 's identified electrical sensitivity, especially with storms and weather. And that is so important. If anybody in your listening audience is a near-death experiencer, they need to know about that. It is a big deal. It can save you a lot of money. It can also um, help you health-wise. And another big, big, big alert I want to make to everyone, I don't care if you're a child experiencer or an adult experiencer, I don't care, any experiencer, you, lo- you tend to lose your tolerance of pharmaceuticals afterward. This is oh so big. Wow. If you're an adult, ask for a child's dose of anything and everything. If you're a child, mom or dad, please bring this to the attention of the physician because doctors um, um, prescribe Drugs according to height, or excuse me, according to weight and Wait. age of the child. Right. Uh, and if your child had a near death experience, um, you want to be very careful prescribing anything at all. Be very careful what you give them. A lot of people turn to homeopathy or vitamins and minerals, uh, various other ways of, of handling. Various illnesses, um, this is extremely big for people to know about. Um, another after effect is being able to see through things, especially conversations and people. so huh? if you're a teenager you know and, and you're at, you, you you know you, you're in a date situation and, and, and the kids are, are saying things. you know what's going to happen. I mean right. <laughs> you know it's going to happen before it happens so why stay there you know it's like big deal i'm not going to stay here uh because you know who who to go with and and who not to and, <laughs> and and another big thing is sensitivity to sound and sun so we're talking a lot of light if it's a child experiencer, you know, most adults kick the kid outside, you know, to get lots of fresh air, which is really, really good. But please don't kick them out in the, in the real heat of the day, and especially at schools. And, you know, a lot of sports and everything, in the real heat of the day, if it's a child experiencer, they could have problems. Um, sound, you know, most teenagers today, um, sound is like, Blasting away if you're if if you 're a typical experiencer, you can 't take all that loud noise, take a little bit of it, but not a lot of loud noise it 's pain, so too much light, too much sound uh, can be painful um, so uh, of course, it depends on the individual uh, people are different um right. You know, just across the board, everybody comes. Almost everybody comes back more psychic, more intuitive, more creative, more innovative afterward. That that's just normal and typical. This idea of 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 anything future is also typical. That's one of the average. after effects that people have. Either, either they, get, um, they can remember the future and remember living it before it occurs, or, you know, clairaudience, clairvoyance, you know, you get into the clairs. Um, all of that is normal and natural for a near-death experiencer. And get this in. It's the average length of time out, that is to say dead, that is to say a corpse, We're we're talking, you know, um, no breathing, no brain waves, no heartbeat, nothing working. Average five to twenty minutes. That's average. Now we know that the typical individual must have oxygen within about three to four minutes, or you can have brain damage. Well, and yet, right, and yet that doesn't happen. No, no, the, 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 uh, um. Uh, what we're finding here, yes, some of them come back with a little bit of brain damage, but most of them come back with brain enhancement. In other words, you come back smarter than you were before.
2: That was fascinating when I read that in your book, the increase in intelligence that often is an after-effect. Well, especially with
3: kids. Especially kids. But my initial research with kids, births birth to 15 years, 48% uh, were, were, were uh, scoring on an IQ test when they could take them uh, 150 to 160. Oh, wow. And now, now your average school teacher will say, well, you know, genius is 132, maybe 136. Some teachers just say, no, 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 it's 140. These are kids coming back 150 to 160. Now, if I look from three to five years, which is where I've found most of my cases, three to five years, 81% were scoring 150 to 160. Hold on. Birth to the age of 15 months. So we're talking little bitty bitty ones. 96% with high scores even up into the 200s. If that A child, that baby, birth to 15 months, had a dark light experience instead of a bright light experience. It was a 100%. Wow. That is fascinating. We've got stuff going on here, folks, and especially with children. That's why I'm going back and I'm reprising my, my early work. But this time I'm focusing on womb to the age of five.
2: Now, I, I actually do IQ tests. I, I work in psychology; that's my profession. When I'm not on the on the air, and I, I administer these IQ tests, and I know from 130 and up, that's you're in the upper 98th percentile of the population. So all of these higher and higher and higher scores are they're even hard to measure. I mean, it's hard to find tests that go up that high. So that's inc- that is just amazing.
3: Oh, it is. It is. It's. Uh, I mean. <laughs> If you really get into near death research, it will blow your cookies. You know, <laughs> it, just, like that. it blows your cookies. <laughs> I love it when my cookies are blown. <laughs>
2: it's so fun. Now, can you tell us you mentioned the um, the dark light versus the, the the other kind of light experience? Just I know that that was unique. I'd never read that before. Could
3: you could you three describe major that? Major lights. Right. There are 3 of them. Um, the first one is a very raw, piercing light. I mean, it's so powerful and so raw. Um, it's just power, 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 power. It doesn't seem to have any specific color. It, it, it's very luminous, very, um, it, it's just very striking. Um, the second one is that dark or black light. Um, it, some people describe it as, has a lot of purple in it. And, and and this light is described as very warm and safe. Um, you, you want to be in this light. It's very healing. It's very wise. It's, it's very comfortable being in that black light. light. Um, and kids love that light. Um, adults, uh, we don't have that many adults that have black light experiences or dark light experiences. We do have some. Um, And in my book, uh, The Big Book of Near-Death Experiences, there is a drawing of a man who is in the hospital, uh, going to have surgery, um, in pain, and this this, uh, kind of oval, dark light, black light came to him, sort of swallowed swallowed him up, and the next thing you know, he's completely in this black light and um, has a near-death experience. And then the black light recedes, and the next morning, just before the surgery, they tested him again, and poof, nothing wrong. Wow. So healing. Nothing wrong. Instant healing. You know, there's something about that light. Well, the, the, then the, the white light, or the bright light, um, most people have that. That's, right. that's very common. Um, some people say that it has silver in it, some people say there's gold in it, but there's this idea of a, of a very bright white light and a very powerful light, unconditional love. Um, there's just something very uh, sparkling about this light. It just uh, gets all the creative juices going, you know. It just uh, uh, really helps uh, you to become. Uh, more knowing yourself or, or more psychic or more creative being in this light and um, th- th- this light is just absolutely incredible well well kids <laughs> I, I love I love working with kids they just you know they let you have it and, <laughs> and kids, kids call that really raw, piercing light that uh, 's so powerful kids call that god 's light. And they call the dark or black light Mother Light. And they call the bright or white light Father Light. And the children oh, will say that the Mother Light and the Father Light come from God's light. So, you you, 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 you know, you get that clarification like, oh, wait a minute here, whoa, team. <laughs> Something's going on here. Uh, but if, if you're just going to talk about that that white light or that bright light, um, that is the, se- the second most common element of a near death experience. And adults will describe that light. Th- this gives you an idea of the power of all these lights. Um, th- that, that, that bright or white light, adults will, adults will, will describe as brighter, more powerful than 10,000 suns. In- wow. Instantly you're fried. But there's no pain. Right. So um, you can imagine what that raw piercing light is if it's even more powerful than that white light or the dark light. So we're talking electricity. We're talking power. We're talking immense power uh, uh, to a degree that we're not used to And nor can we even describe.
2: Now we're just about at our, our break again. I, again, I cannot believe how fast the time is going. This is so interesting. When we come back, I'd, I'd like to ask you about the four types of near death experiences and who tends to have what. But I'd also, I also really want to ask you about uh, consciousness and, and the evolution of consciousness and your research that, and, and data that you've collected around that. But this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back.
0: visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio.com. At gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Hello, this is Anne Gilsheimer, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. And we have been having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Atwater regarding her research into near-death experiences. And I wanted to ask Dr. Atwater to describe the four kinds of uh, near-death experiences that she outlines in her book, mainly because I hadn't heard of all of them before, and it's it's quite interesting. So, would you
3: just sort of quickly sure. give us an overview? Yeah, we've got the what I call the initial experience. It's usually quite quite brief. Doesn't have that many elements to it. it it's sort of like a non-experience. Some, some people call some people say. It usually has maybe one, two, maybe three minutes uh, elements max in it, something like the loving nothingness or friendly voice or quick out-of-body experience. Um, uh, um, and, and I found that people who had a brief one like this really didn't need that much of a shake-up in their, in their lives. If you really studied their life, they really didn't need that much of a shake-up To be shook, you know, it it, it just didn't take that much. Um, 76% with children, 20% with adults in my research. And I'm I'm basing that on 3,000. With the unpleasant or hellish experience, sometimes called distressing or frightening, uh, this is a lot more common than people say. People say it's rare. Well, You know, it's rare because people don't talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. They're either ashamed to or they're frightened to. Um, uh, I found that a lot of people talked about it when I was doing my work. Uh, One out of seven. I truly feel that it's probably more like one out of five have this kind of experience. Um, Sometimes it's an encounter with a threatening void or stark limbo or hellish purgatory, or scenes of a startling and unexpected indifference like being shunned or even hauntings from one's own past or this idea of unfinished business. Um, And uh, in my research, 3% of children, so children, some children have this, not that many, but a few, 15% with adults. The Pleasant or Heavenly Experience, sometimes called the Radiant Experience. Um, This is the one you hear almost all about, uh, all of your documentaries, television shows, and so forth. And yet, only 47% of adults have it, not quite 50%, 19% children. And, you know, this is a heaven-like scenario, loving family reunions that those who have died previously Reassuring religious figures or light beings, validation that life counts, uh, and and on and on and on. There's just something very validating about the the pleasant or heavenly experience. And then there's what I call the transcendent experience. Very seldom is this personal. It um, it has more to do with the world and and people and. And larger expressions of life, Um, uh, encounter with otherworldly dimensions and scenes beyond the individual's frame of reference. It sometimes includes revelations of greater truths. 2% of the children, so again, not that many with children, 18% with adults. So we have the idea here very clearly that there are different kinds of experiences that people have. Um, and I don't know if I can be really fast, but I'll try to be really fast. Um, to, to give you an example of how this works, okay. I was giving a talk in a very large hall, and I... I. In, in, um, Near the end of my talk, I invited anybody out there who hasn't and hasn't had a chance to talk about their experience. They can come forward. A man and a woman volunteered. The man was first. He was, mm, I'm going to guess, maybe in his early 30s, and he described a a, a near-death experience that was so loving and so beautiful. And so heavenly, I swear there was hardly a dry eye in the house. It was so beautiful, and then he shocked everybody by saying, "This is the worst thing that ever happened. He was cursed, he felt cursed to have had this experience. He wished it had never happened, that it had screwed up his life and And then this woman jumped up and and she talked about her experience. Uh, she was in this very dark storm and heavy winds and lots of thunder, and uh, she was being sucked down by this whirlpool. She had to fight to get to the shore, and 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 obviously a hellish experience. And, and then she said to the crowd, <laughs> "You guessed it. This is the best thing that had ever happened to her. She oh, was well. so glad she had it because it taught her and showed her." That you can uh, always um, you can always um, get over anything that you can handle anything um, that no matter what happens in life, you can overcome it so um, when i 'm talking about people uh, uh, when I 'm talking to people, I say be very, very careful don't use negatives and positives about these experiences. A hellish experience is not necessarily negative. A heavenly experience is not necessarily positive. It's, it's according to the experiencer and how it affects their life.
2: Well, that makes sense. It, it's true of any experience, really, right. whether it's winning the lottery or whatever it might be. Yeah, we, we can't take this for granted. Now, you've said that The near-death experience, along with other types of conscious transformations, are really a brain shift. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that.
3: Well, you know, when we're talking about brain shifts, we're talking about threshold experiences. Remember in the book, near-death experience is the rest of the story, I cross Mm -hmm. compare. So uh, I'm I'm comparing what I found with altered states of consciousness and mystical states with near-death experiences. And what I found, what I can say, is that the near-death experience is not any kind of anomaly. Rather, it is part of the larger genre of transformations of consciousness, which include things like baptism of the Holy Spirit, Kundalini breakthrough, shamanic vision quests, luminous experiences, mountaintop experiences, and so forth and so on. They are all threshold experiences. The threshold experience takes you to that razor's edge of sanity, insanity, life, death, light, dark, that razor's edge of, of, of what consciousness itself is, what you are at your base, at your core. That's what these threshold experiences do. They all do that. And uh, if it's impactful enough, then you you're going to get the <laughs> the full whammy here. Um, and and what I found with, with these experiences, these deep structures of shift, mm-hmm. um, th- uh, uh, they 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 change us. Uh, uh, they introduce us to. Um, Okay, let me just share this. There is a universal passageway through the brain that leads to pure, unadulterated consciousness. That's the limbic limbic system. All of them show that. There is a universal section in the brain that creates patterning or overlays so thought forms can take on familiar shapes for engaging interaction and response. That's the temporal lobes. There is a universal source of light receptors and light converters in the brain that provide the environment where enough contrast can be generated to promote recognition that your glial cells and neural melatonin, there is a universal switch inside the brain that can shift bodily functions and cycles to accommodate the rhythms of spirit and the reality of memory fields. That's the pineal gland. There's a universal place in the brain where healing and becoming more loving and altruistic takes wings. And that's Mm -hmm. the prefrontal lobes. There's a universal condition affecting the brain with enough magnitude and strength to ensure the expansion and enhancement of consciousness itself. That's the light flash. There is a universal phenomenon that transcends the human experience and reveals the soul's experience, and that's enlightenment. If you really look at all of the research, not just, you know, um, some of it, but look at all the research, of transformations of consciousness, threshold experiences, near-death experiences, you name it. What they're showing is that, look at the after effects. The human being is being advanced. The human being is evolving. The brain is changing. The nervous system is changing. The digestive system is changing. Brain function and, and structure is changing. Even in a little bit, or right. a lot, it is changing. It takes these kinds of experiences, dear, look at them all. Look at them down through history, throughout the world. It takes these kinds of experiences to evolve and lift the human being. I b- believe these kinds of experiences, are biologically necessary to evolve the human being into higher states of consciousness. These are absolutely necessary in the evolution of the human species.
2: Well, this makes sense. But what would you say to someone who's not had that kind of experience but would really like to evolve is there, do you have any suggestions for something sure. like that? Prayer
3: and meditation, spiritual, you know, rituals and, and techniques. Um, the woods are full of it. You know, lots of books about that. Um, even if you just study the writings of Ernest Holmes and the science of mind, uh, and what he teaches us about how to use our mind, you know, to change your life, change your mind. Change your thinking. Um, The Power of Positive Thinking, there are so many books out there that teach yoga, that teach prayer, that teach meditation, Uh, uh, but the most important ones are the ones that teach you how to use your mind, Um, this idea of thinking. Uh, Again, uh, to change your life, change your thinking. Um, That's absolutely core. And, um, you know, uh, history is filled with the teacher and the student, you know, and the idea um, that the student goes to this great master, you know, teach me how to be more spiritual. Teach me what you would uh, about consciousness, about, you know, spirituality, about God, or, or Allah, mm-hmm. or deity, you know, whatever you want to call it. Every, right. religion, every religion includes these kinds of teachings.
2: Now, Dr. Atwater, we've only got a few minutes left, and I really want to leave time for your uh, a description about your new, your, your latest research project. Would you tell us about that?
3: Oh, yes, please, please, please. Everybody out there, get to my website, www.pmhatwater.com. Right away on the homepage, right away. Is the call for volunteers. If, if you might have had a near death experience or some kind of trauma or some kind of change in the womb, um, your mother's pregnancy, in birth, birth trauma, uh, baby, a toddler, up to the age of five, please, uh, please use that to help you think, remember, connect, describe. Um, uh, go through all of that material. You have to give me permission to use. Please submit a drawing. Drawings are extremely important. Uh, Please um, take part in this research where I'm going back to take another look at kids. And also for those of you out there who want uh, to read something different that's uh, very brief, you can probably read it in about two or three hours. That's the book, Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience. It's the only book yet written that consists of, of the collective speaking through the collective's voice about the collective experience. In other words, it's the people, the experiencers, the adults and children, That book represents over five thousand adults and children speaking their own truths. There's a little bit of research in it, Mm -hmm. not much. It is it is the experiencer's story. It is their truth.
2: (laughs) Well, Dr. Atwater, I want to invite you back. I want you to come back and talk about that. We there's we've only touched the surface of what you've collected in terms of your research.
3: Yeah, all kinds
2: of things. So thank you so much. We're right at the end of our time and I feel so bad because we there's so much more we could cover, but thank you so much for making the time and you are a fascinating guest. Thank you. This, this is Sam Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and thank you for listening.
1: Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Anne Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. We hope to see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.